Hey everyone, this is Dave DeBow here with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, zooming in from the beautiful city of Montreal, we've got Mr. Axel Monse John. How are you doing today, Axel? Super well. Thanks for having me, Dave. My pleasure. And I hope I'm not destroying your last name too badly, but hopefully that's close enough. So, anyhow, Axel, very interesting real estate entrepreneur, originally from the Caribbean. Want to hear more about that? That's for sure. Went to high school in Montreal, never left. And then, after a lot, like a lot of people, kind of doing stuff in the corporate world, he got sick and tired of that and got into real estate investing. It's been the best thing since sliced bread for Axel, <laughs> that's for sure. And he's also a podcast host with the most. And I've had the pleasure of being on Axel's show as well. So Axel, welcome. Hey, thank you very much, David. It's great to be on the other side of the microphone for once. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. So Axel, what kind of real estate investing do you focus on primarily these days? So right now, mostly on multifamily, finding kind of distressed properties and optimizing them is what we've been doing for the last transactions. Nice. So what kind of what size properties are you looking at? So actually like, you know, six units and above, it's kind of the, the bread and butter. Now it's kind of ironic for me to say that because the actual last two that I closed on were five units. So it was just on the borderline. But in both cases, we, we were able to optimize significantly, you know, raise the rent, raise the value and then refi in order to repeat. And as I like to call it, just prime the pump. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's very, very cool. So Axel, I, my curiosity has peaked. Where did you grow up? Where are you from originally in the Caribbean? So I grew up on a little island. I guess thanks to my parents, they crossed the Atlantic on a boat and they were hoping to go to the to sail to the Pacific. They actually never made it past the Caribbean. And uh, they ended up settling, after being in uh, Guadeloupe for a while, they ended up settling on a little island uh, just uh, south of St. Martin called uh, St. Bart's. They were there for about 30 years. And then I ended up leaving leaving the island because school stops really early over there. And so I ended up in Canada to uh, finish high school. Very cool. Very, very, very good. And what about your parents? Are they still there? You get to go spend Christmas no, in the Caribbean? No, not as much. They kind of split their time. They're mostly in uh, in Europe now, back in France with the rest of the family. We're, we're five kids. I have four sisters and all of them are, are in Europe. So I'm the only one on this side of the pond. And to be honest, Everyone here is the Caribbean. They're like, what the hell are you doing here, man? Why wouldn't you live over there and stuff? And the thing is that, yeah, it's beautiful. And, you know, St. Bart's has this wonderful aura because at Christmas time, it's full of yachts and celebrities and stuff. But it's actually quite tough living down there. It's a very different lifestyle. It's very restricted. There is very little culture in a way. And, uh, you know, there is no such thing as just going to the mall on a, on a Saturday afternoon. Not that's necessarily fun, but there's a lot of restrictions. And my father always told me, like, a small island like that is great if you can if you can leave frequently. Yeah. And so I, you know, I ended up here, started working. I went to university in Montreal and you know, settled and have a life here and started investing and met my wife and now two kids. And so I'm rooted here and I like it. I, I wouldn't yeah, leave. No, I, I know what you mean. I lived in Costa Rica for 10 years and and everybody says, What the hell did you come back for? But not quite as small as St. Bart's. How, what is the population of St. Bart's? Just out of- so now it's grown quite a bit. It's about 9,000, I think. But during the season, it almost doubles when every bed is taken and hotels and villas and so on. Yeah. So again, and- the whole island sounds of a small, small city kind of thing, population. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, and I've left now for a little while, and so I don't know as many people, obviously, because there's been a bit of turnover. But back when I was living there, when my parents, my parents got there, there was three, three and a half thousand people living there, and it was a very deep sense of community, like on almost on every island, where you know mutual help and counting on one another, and you know doing favors and stuff. And I guess as the island developed over time, it became a little more transactional. In a yeah, way. more more touristy, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to real estate investing. Yeah. That's the name of the game here. So, Axel, one of the things I wanted to ask you about: you focus primarily on investing in and around Montreal, correct? Yeah. Or Quebec. So, what have you seen as, from what you can tell, being the major differences between between investing in in Quebec and the rest of Canada that you're aware of? That's a very good point. So, full disclaimer: I have not done transaction in other provinces than Canada. So, I, you know, my view is going to be a bit limited. It's just that. Quebec likes to be different and specific about everything. And so I know, for example, with Ontario or, or BC, there's quite a few differences, for example, around the closing, around financing and stuff like that. But some particularities that we have here is so much based around, obviously, the notary and all the rules and regulation when it comes to tenants. And it can be a whole conversation in itself. There's a lot of protection for tenants, which is good in some ways, and then more difficult in some others. But as you, you and your audience may know, like a lot of buildings in Montreal are actually in really poor states. There's so many neighborhoods where, you know, you look at tri- triplexes, six units, six unit buildings, where in some of the buildings you can't even close the door because the foundation of sunken and, and it's so difficult to raise rents that a lot of owners are actually reluctant to do big maintenance. And so that's really pushed on the decaying of the inventory out there. Interesting. And I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard that there's a higher percentage of renters in, well, at least around Montreal than some of the other areas in Canada. Are you aware of, of that? What percentage? That's a, good po- that's a very good point. To be honest, I don't know the stats, but I wouldn't be surprised. And also because there is a big culture, again, of tenant protection and some people really do make the choice for the rest of their life that they'd much rather be be tenants because because in a way it's cheaper and they don't have to worry about maintenance. And so obviously they don't build equity over those 30 years and they never get to actually pay down a mortgage. I wouldn't be surprised compared to maybe other cities in Ontario or BC or even in Nova Scotia that that would be the case. So when you're buying a kind of a dilapidated property, let's say one of these last five plexes that you closed on, are you getting them vacant or do they already come with tenants in them? So the last one, actually the last two had tenants. They were, I guess, because we chose properly, some tenants decided to leave. In the last building, the one we're doing now, there's only really one that we had to have a conversation with and negotiate, and we just bought his lease back. But the other, the other ones left, and one of them it was, you know, for immigration issues. One of them was he actually broke up with his girlfriend and just, you know, didn't didn't want to live there anymore. The other one wanted to move to a bigger place. In this case, we've been fairly lucky. And so we haven't had to do some, you know, big negotiation with tenants because it's obviously much easier to optimize a property if you can at least have it in phases and have it emptied so you can do the necessary renovation in order to to put it to a market that's, rent. That's what I'm imagining for sure. So, okay, so that's awesome. Have you ever had any situations where it's been difficult to get a tenant to leave or are they, you know, are they usually fairly open to negotiation or it really, that's a great question, Dave. It really depends. 
And it touches on a point that it took me almost almost years to realize. So first I'll, I'll answer your question. Like I have some tenants that, yeah, in the back of my head, I call them professional tenants where they, they know all the rules and they, they will, they pretty much will not leave until they're ready to, which is their right once again. And I totally respect that and respect the law. They will negotiate on every rent increase, even when you're talking about $20. And so with these ones, it's a bit more difficult and where it connects. And I wanted to share this with, with the audience is that real estate is yeah, you're buying brick and you're buying a roof and you're buying land and so on, but it is primarily just a people business. Mm -hmm. We are negotiating constantly with everyone for everything, whether, whether you're doing an acquisition and you negotiate with an owner, whether it's with your tenants, whether it's with your with contractors and suppliers, uh, when you're doing a financing and stuff like that. And so at the beginning, I have to admit, like I didn't realize how much of the people aspect was important and to go back to your question, like enhance where negotiating with tenants is so important because you have to understand them, their profile, what are their objective and what is it that, that triggers them? Wow. That's another fantastic idea. Hold on to that thought for a sec. We'll be right back. Now, are you a real estate investor who's ran out of cash or credit to grow your portfolio? Are you looking to grow your portfolio using other people's money and raising capital? Well, I want to show you how to raise six figures or more in six weeks or less at my upcoming Investor Attraction Workshop. You can get your ticket and find out all about it at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. We're gonna spend a full day taking a deep dive into this roadmap that I've used to raise millions for my deals and I've helped other people just like you cumulatively raise hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for their deals as well. So again, you can check that out at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. And as a loyal listener to the podcast, you'll get 50% off your ticket when you use the discount code podcast. That's right. Discount code podcast at investorattractionworkshop.com. See you at the next workshop. So Axel, when, I don't know if you're open to kind of sharing these numbers and whatnot, but can you give us an idea of a, let's say roughly speaking, what it costs you to get into one of these recent, let's say five plexes, Sure. how much you had to put in, what the rent roll looked like before renovations, how much you put into for renovations, mm -hmm. and how much you were able to, now that you got everything vacant, yeah. now you can bring things up to market rent. What does that look like? Because I imagine it's fairly impressive. It's fairly substantial. Yeah. And so I'll use like one of the previous, because we actually did the full cycle and we finished the refinance yeah. and so on. So it's a five unit that's located in rather a C plus or B minus neighborhood. We bought it. It was a five unit. We bought it for 485. So that was in 2019. So we all know how much the market went up since then. It was about mid-year. It was around, around May. And it was at the time making 32,000 a year. And so we demolished, we turned one bedrooms into two bedrooms because there was some a lot of wasted space. There was yep. a big technical room in the back. There was some space downstairs and so on. We added a little staircase and we ended up after about a year, so we put about 120,000 into it. So and you're up to about 600,000. Yeah, so we're about 600,000. Now, in order to purchase it, obviously, we oh, just put about 100K and, and so on. But yeah, and then we, when we did our refi, we had it appraised and it appraised at 800. Nice. Very yeah. Good. And so we did our refi based on that and we were able to get more money that we put into it. And then we continued. And the thing is that this is when... It's amazing when you do the full cycle because 
sometimes you, you do hard work and we all know the reality of being a real estate investor where you do a lot of hard work for a while, but you really only get paid at the end. You're the last one to get paid. Let's be honest here. And when you finally do your refi and get that money that comes back and then you're like, wow, that was about a, you know, 14, 15 months of work. Was it worth it? Absolutely. And this is right. where we've been repeating this. So, so what are the gross rents really now? Science. What are the gross rents now okay. on that property? Okay. So on the gross rents, yeah. So right now it's 52,000. I should be able to give you the NOI right off the bat. And actually, I don't know it. I would need to look at the numbers. Well, that's okay. Um, just get a gist. So. But so within a 14 months period, we went from 32,000 to 52,000. That's huge. Yeah. And so, for example, three of those units were generating about $500 a month. And then we turned those rents into 800, 1100, and 1200, respectively. Now, two of those were one bedrooms that we turned into two bedrooms. So obviously you tap into a different market. We put some better appliances and this is medium, medium grade neighborhood. So it shows the, the, the potential in optimizing. Yeah, definitely. So basically you're doing, you're doing burrs with, with multifamily properties. That's, nice. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, what else? And so how old was this building? Because I know there are a lot of historical buildings in Montreal, and I imagine those must be a whole, oh yeah, whole situation. Do you ever work with those kind of properties? Or yeah, more on. It's funny that you ask because this is exactly the sequence that we followed with the one we're working on now, and we're about to close on a on another property pretty soon. So the one I was just going over, this one was built mid fifties, so it still had a decent concrete foundation. It's still pretty pretty well built. Now, the one we're working on right now, we are actually doing redoing the full foundation. It's a 1910 build, three-story building. It's another five units. And during the inspection, this was an off-market deal. And during the inspection, we literally like started with a screwdriver digging through the concrete foundation because it was shots. They had shot some foam on it. The humidity had stayed. It was just in a terrible state. And so we knew we were buying cheap, but we knew we were facing about 150,000 of work to do on it. And so, and it's stone, it's not brick. And so the two facades adjacent are brick. So I just thought originally, ah, we'll just turn it into brick. So it's not heritage, but the city insisted. So obviously we did, you know, a full permit. So we're changing, we're redoing the foundation, full stone facade to be redone change all the doors and windows, redo the roof. I bought it as an anecdote. We bought it when I asked the owners, when was the last time they redid the roof? They didn't know. And they had the property for 30 years. Yeah. So you can imagine my face. And so I was like, okay, well, that's one of the first thing that we're going to redo. And like, you don't need to, it's fine. When we redid it, the guys removed four layers on top of each other. And I asked them and it was wet underneath. Like yeah. it was starting to leak. It could have been bad. So I'm glad that... Well, was that, was that even built as a multifamily or was it a single, single, big single family home turned into a. No, it was, it, it was built as a multifamily three, three story, five units. Yeah. No, it had been built that way. It's just once again, like lack of maintenance and deferred maintenance. And this is where there is really opportunities for people who are willing to do the hard work and fix someone else's problem. Well, for sure. No, that's where it all comes in. So I know Axel, when, you know, especially other Canadians kind of hear about these prices and whatnot compared to some other cities. Those are, you know, very, very reasonable prices. Now the rents are quite a bit lower than, than what you might be accustomed to seeing in, in other places. 
what are some of the big because so I I imagine people getting all hot to trot and ready to go take on Montreal. I'm sure you've seen it a few times. What are <laughs> what are some of the main, the main screw ups English Canadians do when they go and they try to invest in Montreal, kind of as as newbie foreigners, as it were, coming into Quebec? Have you seen that happen? <laughs> That's a good question. And you're right that, for example, there's a lot more people from Ontario coming because they're like, oh, my God, Montreal is so cheap. But I would say is trying to get into too many different things. Yeah. And you got to just kind of like pick one, educate yourself, learn the hard way and then go a mile deep. But some people are trying to do like, oh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then they never really get good at anything but at the same time those coming from Ontario probably already have experience over there but it is a different market yeah and so one of the mistakes I do see is actually people it's not just valid for people from outside of Quebec coming here it's also valid for people that are here is sometimes investors wanting to to touch too many different segments Mm -hmm. and that's and you've learned it as well like it's once you develop a formula, just stick with it, refine it, get better instead of trying to go eat in every pot. Yeah, I would imagine. Axel, time flies when we're having fun, my friend. I'm sure a lot of people would like to find out more about you and what you do. And maybe it'd be smart if they listen to your podcast as well. So where should they go to check out about Axel? All right, great. Thank you very much. So as you mentioned at the beginning, I started a little podcast about real estate investing in Quebec. It's called The Very Real Estate Effect. Uh, it can be found on all the platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, uh, you name it. And then they can go and check out the uh, the website, uh, realestateeffect.ca. There's uh, some more information there. And if anyone wants to hit me up on LinkedIn or Instagram, is Very Real Estate Effect as well. They just hit me up and I'll be glad to, uh, to chat with them. And a quick note, you're... You're based in Quebec and your podcast is about investing in Quebec, but it's in English, correct? That's right. Yes. And I realized like Quebec is such an interesting province. Like there was so much in French and I just thought like, well, half, you know, half of the people here speak English. So why don't we do that in English? And I'm actually really, really happy I do. And also because I get to chat with fun guys like you. <laughs> yeah, that was a smart idea. Fun guys like me who unfortunately don't speak French for the damn. So that's good, good news for me. All right. Perfect, Axel. Thank you very much for your insights and your time and keep rocking and rolling with what you're doing in beautiful Montreal. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Dave, for having me. Have a wonderful day. You too. All right, everybody. Take care and see you on the next episode. Well, hey there. Thanks for tuning into the Property Profits podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, InvestorAttractionBook.com. Take care.